Leaving, I'll tell you quickly about the youth trip. If you've not signed up, I'd love for you all to come. Youth, eight grades, six through 12th, come see me. I would love for your kids to be part of that. There's about 40 kids signed up already. So if you've not yet signed up, come sign up. It's going to be great. My name is Matt Lorenson. Uh, like as I said, I'm volunteer over the youth, and it's a lot of fun down there. I'm also an elder here. I have that privilege of being an elder, and I have the privilege of reading the scripture today. Psalms 127, 1 through 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sheep. Psalms 127, 1 through 2. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Hey, it's my honor to introduce our speaker here this morning, but I did want to just say something first. There are many leaders that we invest in here at Grace Meadows Church. You know, it's not just me who speaks. We've got many people with teaching gifts that we continue to pour into, people like Justin, people like Brad, people like Ira, people like my dad, um, Steve, and Tara, many people. And, uh, and all the people who come and speak speak under the authority of the elders and under the doctrine of the elders. So anybody that you see up here speaks under that authority, under that doctrine of the elders that they've set forth. We've got six great men who sort of set that direction of where our church is headed. And I say six great men, five great men and me. We set, we set, we set the direction for where the church is headed under the direction of God. So with that, if you have any questions about that, the, the theology, the process behind that, all those things, man, I would love to have that conversation with you anytime. So feel free to contact me or one of the elders. With that, I'd love to introduce somebody this morning who honestly has one of the best teaching gifts that I've ever seen. And so it's my honor to introduce to the stage this morning, Tara Lorenzen. Come to the stage. Can I pray with you? You can, yes. Excellent. Father, I pray that you'll bless this time. Uh, any nerves that there are, I pray that you'll calm Tara's heart. Father, I pray it's just, it's just your word that's being spoken, so I pray that you'll just speak it clearly this morning through Tara. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Thank you, Dallas. Have you ever noticed how when your wife gets in the car, she's carrying a lot more stuff than you carry? I feel like it must be the same for teaching because I got a lot more stuff with me than Dallas seems to have with him when he teaches. But thank you, Dallas. That was also my handsome husband up here reading the scripture this morning. I cannot tell you what an honor it is to have the opportunity to bring the message this morning. These are waters I never knew if the Lord would part or not. This is not something I take lightly. This is not something that I've been striving for. Um, I am blown away that the Lord and the elders have seen fit to graciously give me this opportunity. Obviously, having a woman up here is a little bit different. So if it's okay, I wanted to take a moment to share my heart with you all this morning. I'm not up here to take a stand on some kind of social issue or on women's rights or any of that. That is not on my agenda this morning. I am up here this morning under the authority of our elders and in accordance with, with a doctrine set forth by them and in full and willing submission to them. 
I don't aspire to be one of them. I'm in submission to them. In my personal life, in my home, my husband is the head and the leader of our home, and honestly, I would not want it any other way. The only reason why I stand up here this morning is because I firmly believe that the Lord gives people, both men and women, gifts that he can use to edify his church. So I'm praying that he would just simply do that this morning, that he would build us up, that he would encourage our hearts, that he would speak his truth more fully to us this morning, because here's the thing. He is the only one who can do that anyways. Not me, not Dallas, not anybody else, only him. Amen? So before I jump into the passage this morning, can we go to the Lord one more time in prayer and ask him to do that? Father, we come to you one more time. God, and we just ask that your presence would be here with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak this morning so much louder than I'm speaking. God, that you would speak right to our hearts. Father, that you would produce a harvest in us. Father, that you would change us, that you would encourage us, that you would comfort us. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. God, I ask that you give me courage. And we ask all these things in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. Well, Dallas just finished up a sermon series that we had been doing on Sunday mornings about Psalm 23, and it was just so good. I thoroughly needed and enjoyed every single one of those messages. Uh, This morning, he kind of gave me full reign to go wherever I wanted to go and to teach on whatever I felt like the Lord was pressing in on my heart. And turns out, I guess I wasn't ready to leave the Psalms yet because we're going to be staying there this morning and turning to Psalms 127 as Matt read. I've never taught on this particular psalm before, but man, I've been reading it a lot lately, over and over again, because it has been such a comfort and such an encouragement to me, so I'm hoping that it will be a comfort and encouragement to you all this morning. Before we read it again, a little background information on Psalms 127. This psalm is believed to have been written by King Solomon, the richest, wisest man. And this song is also included in a group of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. Have you heard of those before? Yes? No? Okay, some of us. The Songs of Ascent. Psalms 120 through 134 make up these Songs of Ascent. And I think these psalms are especially cool. Because these are the songs that the Jewish pilgrims would have sang as they traveled about three times a year to Jerusalem to celebrate the different festivals like Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. And for each of these festivals, these pilgrims, they would travel to Jerusalem, often to the temple. Most scholars agree the temple was built at this time. And then they would go to offer sacrifices in this holy city. And that may not mean a lot to you all. But it does to me, because I have been there now. I have been there. A couple of them in here have been there with me. We, about two months ago, we went to Israel. And I spent quite a bit of time in Jerusalem, in this holy city. So now, after seeing it, I can totally understand why they call these psalms the songs of ascent. Jerusalem really is like a city set on a hill. All the areas around it sit lower So as these pilgrims are traveling to Jerusalem, as they're getting closer, their eyes would have been fixed upward as they arrive to Jerusalem, as they ascend to Jerusalem, to this holy city. And they were singing these songs in an effort 
to call to their remembrance who their God is and what he had done. So now that we have some context as to what is really going on, I want to read this psalm one more time. We're just focusing in on only two verses this morning, but they have a lot to say. So let's read them one more time together. Psalms 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. All right. So unless the Lord builds a house, they who build it, build it in vain. Now that probably had some meaning to you before we had context. But now that we have context, I want you to think about those pilgrims. About them ascending up into Jerusalem, singing this song in view of the temple. The temple that took Solomon seven years to build, even with an army of manpower behind him, it was something, right? But as they are ascending, their song is reminding them that unless the Lord built the temple, those who built it were building in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the temple, those who watch over it, watch over it in vain. This city, y'all, it was precious to them. It still is the seat of holy worship in the presence of God. But as they were singing this song, it was reminding them, man, don't get me wrong, Solomon, he did a great job. He did a great job doing what the Lord asked him to do to build this temple. But their song reminded him them that Solomon, he really didn't have that much to do with it. Because it is only the Lord who builds the house. This morning, I think that we need to be reminded of that. Because sometimes I think that we start to think that Maybe we are building the house because we are making this life for ourselves. We are working hard. We are storing up treasure. We are raising children. We are making a name for our companies or for ourselves. And we wouldn't say it out loud, but we wake up and we live a lot of days like we are the ones building the house. And here's the thing. You can try to do that. And I can try to do that. But we're, if we're building the house alone, it's not going to be a very good house. Um, I love the way the message translation puts this verse. I think it's going to be up here in just a moment. Um, bingo, there it is. The message translation translates it this way. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. And I love that. It's like you might get something built, but if you're doing it alone, it's going to be barely standing. And isn't that the truth? I know a thing or two about building houses. Growing up, my dad, he built houses for a living. Now my, my brother builds houses. My sister-in-law, she even builds some houses. My uncle, he builds houses. My husband builds some houses. So I know a little bit about building houses. But growing up, my dad, he built, he built a lot of them. And I watched him toil. I watched him work really hard. Now it's weird. He he does a lot of his work out on the golf course. I cannot figure out what he must be building out there because it has taken him a really long time to get it built. But it hasn't always been that way. Um, used to starting out, he wasn't just driving around in his truck overseeing the building of some houses. Starting out, he was building the houses. He was digging footers. He was framing. He was roofing. He built those houses, several of which my family lived in ourselves. 
But here's the thing I knew about my dad. He knew who was really building those houses. My dad is not a man with a seminary degree, and I've never heard him preach a sermon, but I've seen him with his knees knelt, his head bowed, and his arms folded beside his bed more times than I can count because he knew And he would tell us, he would make sure that we knew who was really building those houses. He knew where his strength came from. He knew where his provision came from. He knew who was in control. And he knew that it wasn't him. Who's building your house? Who's building your house? Because all of us in here, we are building something. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're a stay-at-home mom. And you start to think, maybe this isn't really applicable to me. Man, you're building You're in your home every day creating an environment for your family to live in. You set the thermostat, as Rick always used to say, as to whether or not your your home is a happy and warm place to be or a a cooler place to be. You're building. You're making meals. You're you're cleaning. You're trying to raise well-behaved, well-mannered kids. You are building. Or maybe you're in here today and you're the breadwinner of your home or one of the breadwinners of your home. You're going out every day working hard trying to make a name for yourself or for the company that you work for. All those things, working hard, those things are good. But if we're trying to do those things on our own, it's not going to be a very good house. The best, the best you and I will ever get built on our own is just a leaky shack halfway falling apart. And I don't want a shack that I can build. I want the house that he alone can build. Amen? When I try to build the house, when I start to think that I'm in control, and when I stop relying on the Lord for my strength, when I stop seeking him out in daily guidance and counsel, things do not go well. I just don't. I feel like I'm a pretty hard worker. Most of my days start really early. I work part-time for the church, full-time in ministry, and full-time in my home. And I love every single bit of all of it. I truly do. I cannot believe I get to live life like this. But when I start to do those things in my own strength, I start to do exactly what these verses say that we will do. And I'd be willing to bet I'm not the only one in here who does it. So I just want to start out this morning by taking a moment to examine the three things that these verses say that we will do if we start trying to build the house ourselves. So we're going to start this way. If we try to build the house ourselves, number one, we labor in vain. We labor in vain. When I'm building the house, I build it for myself. I build it for myself. I build it according to what I think will make me the most happy. I build it according to what I think will make me look the best to everyone else. I build it according to what I think will give me the most gain. But all that is vanity. It's vanity. It does not provide me with one single bit of satisfaction. King Solomon, who's believed to have written this psalm, is also believed to have written the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you've ever read it before, but it is an interesting book. And he starts off the book of Ecclesiastes in kind of a, what seems like on the surface, a depressing way. He says this, he says, vanity, it's all vanity. Some, Some translations say meaningless. It's all meaningless. What does man gain by all his toil under the sun? That's how he starts it out. That makes you want to read it, right? That's how it starts out. 
This was the richest and wisest man, but it was all meaningless to him. And left to my own choices, I would build my house the exact same meaningless way. It would all be for nothing. Because our house, it's not supposed to be about us. It's not. About a year ago, the Lord, he started pressing on mine and Matt's hearts that um, he wanted us to build an addition to our house. Not our actual physical house, but the house that the Lord is building. He wanted to add an addition to it, and that addition was going to be called foster care. And this addition um, caught me off guard because I wouldn't expect Matt to be like, all right, yeah. Um, But he kind of was the one who brought it up initially, and we began to pray about it and to walk in that direction, and we got approved, and that's a long, lengthy process. And then about seven months ago, we took in the most precious little boy. He was 18 months old. He's now two months old. And, and you all have probably seen him running around. You all have loved him so well. Thank you for that. But we have spent the last seven months loving him, caring for him, feeding him, teaching him, bathing him, playing with him. And it has been such a blessing. But these seven months, man, it's been a big part of our mindset. Thursday, I was in the office working on this message. And often as the Lord works, I get a call that it is now time to learn to let him go. In just a couple short weeks, he will be um, reunited. Reunited with his family, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Reunification is always the goal. And they have worked really hard to get their son back, so praise the Lord. But as I'm sitting there, I'm like, Lord, why build the house this way? Why build this addition onto our home? Because I don't feel any different. Clearly, by my attitude right now, I didn't learn a whole lot. I don't feel more like Jesus right now. Like, I knew it was going to hurt, and it hurts. So why? Why, why build a house this way? And my husband, he reminded me, because so often he is the voice of the Lord to me. He reminded me that the house is not about us. The house was never supposed to be about us. He didn't add on this addition to our house just for us. Now I'm sure I will look back and see how the Lord changed my heart and what I learned through this. But it's not just about us. It was about a little two-year-old boy needing a home for seven months where he had every need taken care of, where he didn't have to worry about a thing, where he would learn for the first time what it meant to be a part of a church family, where he would hear every single day in a song that Jesus loves him. The house isn't about us. And although there is pain from this addition to our house, when we build the house for ourselves, it is in vain. But when we build it for the glory of the Lord, when we build it for others, it is not in vain. It was not meaningless. And I will be able to look back on this and see that the Lord did not build it in vain. The house is not about us. When we try to build the house ourselves, we labor in vain. Number two, when we try to build the house ourselves, we also lie awake in vain. Why do we lie awake? Because we're worried all the time. We're worried all the time. We're like watchmen staying awake at night. We can't really do anything about all the things that we are worried about, but we just stay up and we worry about them anyways, right? Because there is no security when we build the house ourselves. 
There's no security in that. It's just a shack after all. So honestly, when we build the house ourselves, we're probably worried for good reason. Because we know that a blow here or there is going to be catastrophic because the house is weak. If we are building it ourselves, it's just a shack. So we lie awake in vain because we know it's coming. That is what it's like when we build the house ourselves. Lastly, number three, when we build the house ourselves, we eat the bread of anxious toil. Y'all ever had a bite of that? The bread of anxious toil I have. You know what it tastes like? It tastes like um, sun up to sundown, just frantically chasing after the next task. Doing our best to hold up the roof of that house for fear that it's going to come crashing down on us. There's little joy or calmness as we work. When we're building the house ourselves. our days are full of anxiety and our work is done in an anxious frenzy. You ever had a bite of that? I know I have. You know, those three things, working in vain, lying awake in vain, and eating the bread of anxious toil, that is what happens. That is what these verses tell us will happen when we try to build the house ourselves. But I've got good news. I've got such good news. You don't have to build the house yourself. I do not have to build the house myself. Praise God. Matt doesn't have to build the house himself. We weren't meant to do it. Do you know how much joy and freedom there is in realizing you don't have to build a house yourself? You know, one of the reasons why I said earlier that my husband is the head of my home and I wouldn't have it any other way? Well, one of the many reasons is because I don't want that kind of pressure. I don't want that kind of pressure. If something goes wrong, I want to be like, "Uh, Lord, you know, I don't want that kind of pressure. When we realize that we don't have to build the house ourselves, we get to live with a lot less pressure. You were not created to build the house. I wasn't created to build the house. We aren't made to do it. Instead, we have an expert builder. We have an expert builder, the greatest builder of all time, the master architect. He has the design plan of a lifetime right there at our disposal. He truly does. Those aren't cheap words. He really, really does. Yet too often, I think we come to him with our little scribbles drawn up on a paper napkin. And we give it to him and we're like, Lord, this is what I want. This is it right here. This is what I want. I know you can't see this, so you'll just have to take my word for it, but um, my little Allie June, she's eight, she um, drew her dream house on this paper napkin, and let me tell you, she thought about it. Like this, she understood the assignment. She thought about it. She thought about it, and she took her time, and she worked hard, and she drew up her dream house, much like we think about it, right? We think about when we give our plans to the Lord, it's not haphazardly. We've thought about it. We know what we think we want. We know what we think is best, and that's how we give them to the Lord. That's how she gave it to me. And when I looked at it, I want you to know the first thing that I did was smile. The first thing I did was smile because I know my Allie June, and I know the desires of her heart. So the first thing I did was smile. I want you to hear that. But then the second thing I did was I looked at it, And I'm like, oh, okay. And I saw some things that would eventually be glaring issues for Allie June. You see, right now, she's got her house. 
It's a big house, it's a pretty house, but it's in the center of all these things that are really important to Allie June. She's got a trampoline over here. She's got a pool with like all these outdoor water park things over here. She's got a bike path that goes like around the whole front and side of the house. She has a playground and she has a fire pit in the back. It's all around the house, all the things that are important to Allie June. But I'm looking at this and I'm like, "Mm, okay, this is good, but, but she doesn't have any room for a driveway, you know? And she doesn't have a garage. So if Allie June achieves this dream house that she thinks is the cream of the crop, the best that she's ever going to get, she's going to be parking a long way away to walk to this house every day. From my perspective, I can see that there's some glaring issues with her dream house, with her plans. And it makes me smile because I know her heart, but I also have a higher perspective than hers. What is important to her right now, what is in her perspective as being the most important thing, I know better. I know that one day she's going to want a driveway. I know that one day she's going to want more than two windows in her house. But right now, windows and a driveway are not that important. And sometimes, I think it's just like this. We come to the Lord with our plans and we're like, this is it. This is it, Lord. This is what I want. And sometimes I think he smiles because he loves us. Y'all, he loves you and he knows the desire of your heart. He knows how hard you thought about it and how you're not necessarily wanting to do something wrong. But, but he looks at it and he sees some glaring issues. And so he's like, oh, you can do that. You, you can get that shack you've dreamed up standing. And sometimes I think he's even like, I'll even give you the grace to survive the build of it. But it's not going to be pretty. It is not going to be pretty or You can put those paper napkin plans in my hand. And then he's like, you can trade them in for something else. Because he has plans too. He has plans that are are so much better than your plans. He has plans too. And he's like, "You you can trade them in. And you can follow my lead. And you and I together, we can build something that will withstand any rain. Something that will withstand any wind. Something that will actually satisfy the emptiness of your soul. And do you want to know the best part? That he offers us throughout the whole entire process. He assures us that he will give us rest. He will give us rest. Verse number two. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Even throughout the build. Trade him in. Y'all, trade them in. Ask yourself today, who is building my house? This church is also a house. It's also a house. I do not say this lightly. I have attended church my entire life. But I have never been a part of a church like this. I have never been a part of a church that is in such a healthy place. Do you know what it's like to say that, being kind of in a leadership role where you know the ins and outs of everything? I've never been a part of a church that is in such a healthy place where unity and love cover the congregation like a blanket, where service and and generosity are just a natural outflowing of the church body. It's insane. I've never been a part of anything like that. And that's because the Lord is building this house. I didn't ask Dallas's permission to share this story because he would have said no. Um, so in this instance, I think it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. But um, around the time when Dallas was first 
hired, he was getting a tour of our church's office space, which is actually located above Foster Sons in Jonesboro. They were so gracious and generous to let us use that office space. And Dallas was getting the tour up there. And there is one office up there that is significantly larger than all of the other offices. Um, And the rest of us who work up there, we're just part-time. We just work part-time, and we've already taken the smaller offices anyways. So it was easily assumed that the the largest top dog head honcho office was going to go to Dallas, right? This was a no-brainer. It was just understood that he was going to move into this office. Well, some days pass by, and... um, Dallas hasn't moved into the head honcho office. Instead, he's moved into this smaller, more oddly shaped office. And he's turned the largest office into a space for prayer. It's a prayer room now because he wanted the largest space in our office to be, to be focused and centered around the Lord and on prayer for our church body as a whole and our church members as individuals. He wanted our office to be founded on that instead of founded on him. And so now we can go in there and we can, we can pray for the needs and we, there's a whiteboard in there, y'all. There's a whiteboard in there with some of your names on it. And we add to it, and we take away as the Lord answers prayers. And now, because of his decision, we all get to go into that prayer room in an office that is founded on and centered around prayer. And we get to pray. And it's such a beautiful, wonderful place to come in to get to work there. Work. All that. Because Dallas knew who was going to build this house. And he knew that it wasn't him. I'm so thankful the Lord sent us someone who knew that it wasn't himself. It is the Lord who builds this house. And no offense to Dallas, but I'm glad because his paper napkin plans would have never brought us to where we are today. Amen. Amen. It is the Lord who builds this house and it is the Lord who will continue building it. But I'm going to ask you again, who's building your house? Maybe you're in here today and it's hard for you to answer that question. You're like, well, some days I feel like I'm letting the Lord build my house and then some days I'm taking the reins myself and moving forward. I mean, I feel you. I feel you on that. I know what it's like to live that way where you're trying, but then you can't quite give them control, so you take it back again. And that just leaves you anxious and kind of exhausted, right? If that's you, the final thing that I want to tell you this morning as our worship team comes back up, I want to leave you with four things that you can do to be sure that it is the Lord who is building your house and not yourself. You can come. Four quick things you can do to be sure that the Lord is the one building your house. Number one, you got to have the right foundation, right? you got to have the right foundation. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. If you're in here today and you're really not sure, if you have one of those, come find me, come find Dallas or the elders. We'd be happy to make sure that you know whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. But maybe you do. Maybe you do have a relationship with Jesus and you're still like, I don't know if it's me or if it's him who's in control here. Man, I would tell you this. This would be my advice. Fortify the foundation. Fortify the foundation. You have to maintain closeness. You have to maintain that relationship just like you have to do any other relationship you have. Maintain that closeness with him. Draw near to him. If the only time you hear from him and that he hears from you is when you are inside of these four walls, it's going to be really hard for you to trust him enough to let him build your house. Have the right foundation. Number two, let him show you which way to go. 
Let him show you which way to go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a common verse. Listen to it with new ears right now, like you've never heard it before. This is something I pray over my husband almost every week, or sometimes more than once a week. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on what you, you think is best. Instead, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him, and he's going to direct your path. Ask him which way to go. Don't just go with your gut. Take the time to stop and ask him, and then trust him enough to follow his lead. Number three, work hard. Work hard. We live in this culture right now that tries to belittle working hard, but Colossians 3.23 says this. It says, whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as though you're working for the Lord and not for human masters. Be willing to work hard. Whatever it is that the Lord has for you, be willing to work hard at it. Not for your own glory, but for his. And I'm telling you, that is so much more satisfying. And then lastly, number four, rest up. Rest up. Work hard when it's time to work hard, and then rest up when it's time to rest up. Because he gives to his beloved sleep. And you can be sure This is how you check yourself. You can be sure that he is the one who is building your house when you are able to rest throughout the building process. This list is not exhaustive, but it's a pretty good place to start. If you're here this morning and and you're tired of laboring in vain and laying awake at night and eating the bread of anxious toil, man, trade it in. Trade it in. Life is too short to live like that. Trade it in. Just like our office is centered around prayer, this place too. It's a place of prayer this morning. I talked about my dad, about how when he was a kid, he would often kneel beside his bed at night. And I I wondered many times as a kid, like, why does he do that? Like, doesn't he realize you can pray sitting however you want? You don't have to pray kneeling down. But I want you to notice something about that posture. As we get on our knees at an altar like this. And as we bow our heads, that is a natural posture of humility, right? It's really hard to come before the Lord on your knees with your head bowed and say, this is how I want it. This is what I want. Now, when we take that natural posture of humility, our heart wants to follow suit. And it becomes a lot more like, Lord, however you want to build it, just build it. Do it for your glory, Lord, and not for my glory. However you want it done, I'm okay with that, Lord. Just help me to trust you. Give me rest throughout the building process. If you need to come and ask him to do that this morning, you can. The final song that we're going to sing this morning is one of my favorites. It's called Worthy of It All. And I love this song because it comes straight from Revelation chapter 4. One day... We are going to stand before the throne of God. And we are going to see that however he asked us to build the house, whatever work he wanted us to put in, whatever heartache it may have brought our way, we will see and we will be 100% confident that he is worthy of it all. Amen? Amen? You all can stand. If you need to pray, you can do that. But let's praise him for that this morning.